Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to Sell Porn or Die Trying. I am your host, Connor Young. I am also the CEO and owner of Why Not, YNOT.com. We are a media company and events company. We've covered the adult entertainment industry since really the earliest days of the adult internet. Uh, back in 1996 was when our company was launched. And this is my show. You are listening to my podcast where we talk about the business side of the adult entertainment industry. And boy, do we have a topic today, like a huge topic for our industry, one that is really on the level of, I don't know how to put it, an existential development in uh, in our industry and also throughout the world. Uh, we're talking today about AI, the technology, artificial intelligence, and how is that going to impact things going forward? Uh, my guest is, I can think of nobody better for this topic. My guest is Steve Lightspeed, who is the founder and CEO of Lightspeed Media and owner of Porn.ai and Deepfake.com. More about Steve and the AI topic in a little bit. First, I wanted to get into a couple of developments or a couple little interesting tidbits I wanted to share with everybody that happened recently that's going on. Uh, first, I, I wanted to talk about the New York Times. Uh, the New York Times, um, we all, well, I don't know if we all know, but many of us know uh, a few years back, a columnist for the New York Times, Nicholas Kristof, published uh, an editorial, an opinion piece, right, where he uh, really took aim at Pornhub. Uh, MindGeek is the company that owns and operates Pornhub, and they really took, Kristof really took aim at them and did a lot of damage uh, in his editorial. Um, I don't think the editorial was fair. I think it presented his readers with a very false understanding of, of reality in our industry, but that didn't stop it from doing a lot of damage. Um, now, it's nice to see, however, that this week, the New York Times has published, well, another story about our industry, but turns out this one is a much more um, accurate look at what's happening in adult, and it covers the very important topic, was the topic of our last podcast, actually, of banking discrimination against the adult entertainment industry. So we're talking about the everyday things that our uh, companies and sex workers and everybody else involved in the industry have to deal with from, from banks, from credit cards, etc., and how that impacts their lives. Um, the article it includes a lot of great personal stories about how it impact how how all this stuff is really impacting individuals like what's happening in their lives when this goes down what is the consequences of it um, also it's got some interesting tidbits about what causes a bank to um, to cancel an account or to close an account because when they do it they don't really offer any explanation to the account holder they're very secretive about it which has always been fascinating to me if they if what they're doing is so righteous why are they so secretive about it so according to the article there are a number of things that can happen uh, uh, an account may have too many cash deposits and that might trigger a little suspicion in the bank or like based on the patterns of all these little cash deposits coming in. Or maybe you've received money from somebody else that the bank considers to be uh, suspicious or high risk. Um, and also there's the issue of sometimes the banks just uh, start looking into what you're doing and they find your social media accounts and they see that they're rather racy or there's stuff going on that indicates adult entertainment industry. And even though they don't like prohibit adult per se in their agreements for checking accounts and whatnot, uh, these banks claim that, look, we're just, we just need to be cautious. 
Because if there's any chance that a crime like money laundering or sex trafficking is taking place, um, they don't want to essentially be accused of being a part of that. And there was a there was a little credence to this claim. I mean, I'm a little suspicious. I think there's more to it. I believe there's political pressures behind the scenes, people who want to harm our industry or control it or harness it. However, I think the banks got a little credence in their claim this week when uh, the government levied the largest fine in its history, the United States government, against um, against an entity for, quote unquote, money laundering uh, practices or for failing to stop money laundering um, at um, Binance, which is a, a crypto exchange, right? And you've probably seen it in the news. It was a massive operation, and I know banks don't want to be on the receiving end of that. Also, we all deserve, those of us who are running um, legal businesses, deserve banking. We can't operate without banking in a modern world. So this is a big problem that I know the FSC has been working on and um, the article covers. It's really worth the read. And if you can't get to the New York Times, you don't have a subscription to read the article directly, uh, you can hit, head over to whynot.com, whynot.com, and I wrote up a kind of a summary of what's going on in the article, so at least you can see that. It also links to the article if you can't find it. So whynot.com, just click on news and look for the article about the New York Times coverage of banking discrimination. Uh, fascinating read. Um, you know, I, one thing that really stuck out to me is there's a quote from a representative from Chase Bank where she's saying that, hey, you know, we don't have any problems with people from the adult industry having their own personal accounts with us in the bank. But this flies entirely in the face of my own experience with Chase, which says absolutely otherwise. I had uh, banking with Chase for a long time, including my personal checking account and credit cards, etc. And somewhere along the line, Chase um, decided that I was connected to uh, adult entertainment companies probably because of uh, money that somebody had sent. And they canceled not only business banking for me, but they canceled my personal accounts and all of my credit cards that were personal credit cards with the bank just canceled them straight up across the board with no notification, no warning at all. So I found out when I was trying to order a pizza, I pulled out my first Chase card and they were like declined. And I was like, man, that's interesting. I know there's, there's room, what's going on? Probably an error. Here's my second one, declined. Uh, what's going on? I need to contact my bank. They wouldn't tell me. Um, they were secretive as always. Like, what? Like, what's going on? Why would you do this? And I even challenged them. I said, look, it's probably because I have connections to the adult industry, right? That's why you guys did it. On the phone, they wouldn't confirm nothing. You could tell they just wanted to get off the phone with me. But eventually, a, a, a local banker that I knew, somebody at one of the branches, uh, did admit to me that that was why they just saw a connection to the adult industry and like, that's it. Sayonara cut me off. Uh, so they're full of shit. They're lying uh, to the New York times or that spokesperson, uh, possibly just doesn't know. Uh, I guess that's the other possibility. Uh, one of the two, I'm guessing it's one of the two, uh, because that was not my experience with Chase Bank. And I know a lot of people who have had, uh, experiences with Chase Bank that don't fit that narrative. Also, the other story I wanted to talk about quickly before we get on to the AI stuff is a class action lawsuit that was filed against Streamate earlier this year. That's the video cam company Streamate, a live streaming company, uh, lots of cam models, 
do business on Stream 8. And earlier this year in July, an individual, Mia Tomasello, hopefully I'm pronouncing her last name right, filed a proposed class action lawsuit against ICF Technology, which is the company that owns and operates Stream 8. So the claim is that the company misclassified their performers as independent contractors when they are employees under federal law and state law. Streamate rejects the claim, but didn't respond to a request from Why Not for comment, so we don't really know what their legal defense strategy is just yet. They did answer the complaint, though, and they essentially basically just said, hey, it's all bogus. They argue that Tomasella's claims, um, here I'm quoting now, are specifically barred because neither she nor any individual in the punitive class or collective are employees under the federal or New Jersey law. So instead, all performers on Stream 8 are independent contractors. That's their claim, okay? Um, we'd like to hear from Stream 8 on it at some point to see what their, their legal strategy is going to be, but we will be following it on whynot.com uh, as developments happen in court. And we also had a chance to talk with uh, the noted adult uh, industry attorney, uh, First Amendment attorney, Larry Walters from, in fact, firstamendment.com. And he did offer some insights into the problem. So let me quote Walters now. He said, some states such as New Jersey have adopted a strict test to determine whether a worker must be deemed as an employee rather than an independent contractor. While the contract in place with the worker is some evidence of the intended relationship, it is not determinative. Courts will look at other factors such as the level of control exerted over the worker's activities and the nature of the work performed. So Walters went on uh, after that to say that um, there were numerous adult nightclubs that, quote, have faced numerous lawsuits from performers seeking to be classified as employees in the last two decades. Now, as work has migrated largely onto the Internet, online platforms are encountering these same issues in the courts. Platform operators should undertake a comprehensive review of these potential employment law issues and evaluate both their contractual agreements along with their business policies and practices. Misclassification of workers can result in significant exposure, including payment of back wages, costs, and attorney's fees. So nobody wants to end up in that situation, right? That sounds like a nightmare. Um, and if this case is successful, you have to ask, what's the impact going to be on cam networks based uh, out of the United States? And might some of them just simply move offshore. Um, it's, it's not uncommon for companies in the industry to rely on contract work as opposed to employees due to uh, limited budgets in a lot of companies. Um, however, if you're going to do that, you need to understand what you can and cannot do with respect to directing the people who are, are working for you. Uh, but I but I do have to wonder if cam models really want to be employees instead of independent contractors. How many of them really want that? Because that comes with obligations like set work hours, right? Now the cam networks will be able to tell you when to show up for work and what your hours are, et cetera, and what your shift is. Amongst other things, you do get some benefits uh, in, uh, on the uh, taxes side uh, and other potential benefits. Um, but I'm not sure that's the way most at least American cam models want to operate. It's a little bit um, more in line with how studio models operate in uh, in Eastern Europe or in uh, Latin America, but not the U.S. models uh, who are very independent by nature and like working, you know, odd hours here and there and having 
rest of their time off to pursue what they want to pursue. So if you're interested in, in, in reading more, you can find uh, Gene Zorkin's excellent article on whynot.com about this and sign up for our newsletter at whynot.com, whynot.com slash newsletter. And uh, we'll keep everybody informed as new developments happen. Uh, no idea how this one's going to shake out. I know there's a little bit of uh, pessimism from our our uh, legal uh, reporters here at Why Not on the outcome, but I guess that really still remains to be seen. We're still in the early phases of of understanding how this case is going to break down. All right. So as I said before, the guest today is Steve Lightspeed, who is the founder and CEO of Lightspeed Media and owner of Porn.ai and Deepfake.com, and which the latter there, the the Deepfake.com name might be a little deceptive at first glance because when I think of deepfakes, I think of like you know, somebody taking um, their girlfriend's face and putting it on a, a, another body or something like that. That's not what his site does. And he'll get into explaining uh, a little bit about what it does and what it's all about. He's taken a very careful and thoughtful approach to his uh, business. Steve was the recipient of an Avian Hall of Fame award. In fact, all the way back in, uh, I think it was, gosh, 2005, if I'm remembering correctly, um, he was the pioneer of the solo girl uh, model for adult websites. Prior to Steve, most websites featured lots of different models and content uh, as to where Steve's site started focusing on just one performer, and that proved to be hugely popular. He made a pile of money. He threw amazing parties, and he's also been a proponent of AI since the very start, really, as long as I can remember, back when I personally was was skeptical of how that technology might impact adult content. Um, but I'll tell you what, I'm no longer skeptical at all, like not in the slightest. Uh, as I've learned more, and I still don't know a lot about AI, but I'm learning more, and I have no doubts at this point. Um, so we get a little bit in, in this interview into the early Lightspeed Media days, which is fun because it was a really unique time in the adult entertainment industry. And we also talk about everything from the rise of AI to uh, the future of our industry under AI. And I asked Steve about his lessons learned and, and, and what surprised him from implementing AI so far, what he might be do different, lots of other topics. We talked about how the industry is reacting to AI. I'm really proud of this interview. It is It, it was fun to talk with Steve. And the information uh, that I got from him was fantastic. So I hope you en you enjoy it uh, because AI is happening whether we like it or not. That's that's just the way that it is. I've learned this from years of experience in this industry. When a new technology comes along, you know you can try to fight against it, but if it's impactful, it, it's 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 here. It's out of the bottle, okay? And it will impact the adult entertainment industry. Small companies are going to be able to do more with less. This is the good news. Uh, AI will be able to do things that, you know, small companies in the past would have had had to have to have human resources to do that they just couldn't afford, okay? Um, also, companies that um, can't utilize AI, that don't figure out how to utilize it or just can't figure it out or don't have the, the resources to, to use it, they're going to be at a huge disadvantage from the companies that do know how to use AI or do implement it in effective ways, okay? You can use AI, for example, for business analysis, for, for research, uh, but also content creation, pictures. It can do that right now. Generate pictures out of nothing more than your text prompt, many that look 
extremely realistic and it's only going to get better. But can this technology eventually replace live cam models, for example? I'm still a little doubtful that it will completely. However, I do think that in time, it's going to reduce the share of buyers that live, actual, real human being models are going to be able to uh, to pull in because some of the customers are going to go to AI where they have way more control. And let's face it, not all not all men who are engaged in porn or women, for that matter, who are who are watching porn, not everybody likes to feel like maybe they're being judged uh, for getting off. And even if a live model is being incredibly respectful, right? As as Steve pointed out to me, um, you still have, there's still a factor of, hey, guys don't like to be to feel judged. AI will solve that problem for these guys. Uh, they'll have complete control. Um, they will have less pushback and less embarrassment. And that's going to cost... Uh, a big chunk of the buyers that are currently paying money to live models. I have, I have no doubt about that. So many people are going to hate the rise of AI because it's a threat to them. Um, however, I I would urge everybody to learn from the tube sites and what happened there. If a huge impactful uh, technology like this is out of the bottle, so to speak, it's going to happen with or without you. That's all there is to it. So do you want to leverage this tech or fight against it? So we'll all be forced to make that choice. And I'm convinced that the latter group is is dead in the water. It's just my opinion. Um, I was that famous, uh, what was it, Dennis, what's his name? I could be wrong, but um, I don't think I am. I think I'm right. So let's hear from Steve about this because he's got the good information and the firsthand uh, knowledge of AI and implementing it for the adult entertainment industry. So without any further ado, here I am talking with Steve Lightspeed, CEO of Lightspeed Media and owner of PornAI and Deepfake.com. I hope you enjoy it. Steve, man, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to talking to you. Thanks, Connor. Good to be here. Obviously, we've known each other for uh, a long time, so it's a comfortable conversation. Um, for those listening, um, I've known Steve since, gosh, when do you think we first met? When was that I think trade we show? met in 2001. 2001, yeah. Steve had some content at a trade show, I remember, that I was um, trying to acquire for my employer at the time and was interested in, and uh, unfortunately, I couldn't talk you into selling it to me at the time. Yeah, I should have sold it to you. I, I don't remember what the issue was. Yeah, I, I think it was just that uh, we were looking for some exclusive content. I don't think you were looking uh, oh, yeah, to sell exclusive right. at that, that particular was, time. You wanted yeah. exclusive, and uh, I was already using it all. That's right. Yeah, so that that was the issue. But yeah, no, I recognized right off the bat. I thought, uh, hey, this is a guy whose content's going to make a lot of uh, turn a lot of heads in the industry, and it uh, it definitely did. So uh, starting off, just trying to get to know you a bit for people who don't know you uh, as well as I do. Um, what would you say, what was the set of circumstances that led up to your ultimate decision to say, hey, I want to shoot like adult content? Like, do you, like, do you remember the year? Was it like, was it 2001 earlier? And what were you thinking that just kind of got you into that? Actually, this this started the, the day I was born, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I remember finding Playboy magazines when I was in first and second grade. Yeah. And thinking that this was the shit, you know, this is 
something that uh, I was always interested in. My dad had had centerfolds up in his shop, and I was I was definitely exposed to erotica at a young age. And then uh, when I when I got married, I was 27. Uh, my friends threw a bachelor party for me. And we filmed the stripper at the bachelor party. And I made a few thousand dollars selling that videotape online. <laughs> uh, just through uh, news groups, advertising it on the news groups. So yeah. I, I started uh, online in 91 with the name Lightspeed. And then I, I had built my first website by 95. I built a free site. Oh, and wow. In my mind, I was just organizing the internet. I was building what is now Google Image Search. Yeah. But nobody was that kind to, hey, you're using my content to do what? Right. And, exactly. and I got my ass chewed in uh, 90, 97, 98. A guy named Jeff Miller called me up and he said, hey, you're, you owe me $150,000 for each image that you stole from me. And he scared me so bad, I literally deleted everything off my server while we were on the phone. Yeah. I deleted months worth of work. Yeah. And at the very end, he's like, well, hey, you've got pretty good skills. If you ever want to learn how to do this and, and I'll legitimately, call me back and I'll, I'll tell you what you need to know. And at the time, I was like, screw you. I'm never calling you back. <laughs> but then we saw a guy on TV uh, talking about how he had made millions of dollars putting naked college girls online. And suddenly the idea didn't sound so crazy. And my wife actually suggested it. Like, um, you know how to build websites, and that guy offered to help you, so why don't you look into it? So it just sort of fell into place. I didn't know what I was doing, but I called that guy like six months after I originally talked to him, and he spent three hours with me on the phone and told me everything I needed to know. I took notes like a student. And I called all the people. I called CC Bill. I called, you know, the hosting company he recommended. There was just, he basically handed me the keys to the kingdom and told me all the laws I'm supposed to follow and how to hire girls and what kind of cameras to use and how to get the film developed and everything. Do you remember how you did start to hire girls? Like what the first, like, did you put out ads or what was that? That was a... A difficult time. It's not the same as it is today. So, what was your approach? Actually, to that? I think it was easier back then. Okay. Um, we we put ads in the local college paper. Just, ah, okay. Um, you know, models wanted, and the first few that called me, they're like, "Well, how many people have you shot?" And I'm like, uh, "Counting you, uh, one." <laughs> so, that, wrong answer. Uh, yeah, I I got a few no shows to start with, and I was thinking it was yeah. never going to happen. But finally, one girl did show up, and I think I paid her all of fifty bucks for three or four hours. Wow, and she was a terrible model. She looked like hell. Yeah, but I got my first pictures, and then once I got the first one out of the way. I, I'm like, yeah, I've been doing this for a few weeks. I've been doing this for a couple of months, and it just kept getting easier and easier. And, and I, I ran into a guy who ran a strip club in North Carolina, and he had he had a bunch of models that were totally into the idea. So I flew to North Carolina and shot them for a week. Yeah. And that's really where we got our original content for the, the original sites. Was that like the LS University and yeah, stuff like that? Yeah, all cheerleaders. You know, I, yeah. 
I originally started off with the university. It was going to be just college girls. Yeah. But it, we did a cheerleader set, and all of our fans immediately said, do more of that. Right. And I was just responding to fan mail. All right, we're going to do more cheerleaders. And then pretty soon we did a non-cheerleader, and people said, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, it looks like this is going to be all cheerleaders all the time. <laughs> and uh, so we then we built another site called Sorority, and that was all lesbians. Right. And it just kept growing. We kept adding more and more sites. Um, I hired a couple of guys to help, and that uh, that blew us up really quickly. And then we met Tawny Stone, and I put her on. Her first uh, pictures were on Sorority, and we got so much fan mail on her immediately. We we're like, hey, why don't we give this girl her own little website? And my my webmaster at the time, he he didn't think that much of her. So he's like, yeah. maybe if I get around to it and he spent I don't know six seven weeks just putting it off and in the meantime I'm getting more and more fan mail every day I'm like all right stop screwing around and get this site online and by when he put it online it immediately became our number one site like to the tune of 10 to 1 yeah and it just took off from there and we and we we transitioned into running individual little girl-next-door type solo girl sites. That was, yeah, and you were really one of, I won't necessarily say the first, because I don't know who was doing out there, but in terms of, like, highly visible solo girl sites, you were uh, you were kind of the, the pioneer of that, wouldn't you say? I mean, Well, we were one of the first to take a, a corporate approach to it. Like, we're going to have a whole staff of people, and we're going to hire models. You know, Tawny Stone was a waitress here. Um, when we found her, we're just going to take regular girls. They they don't have a following. They don't have a name. They've never been in a movie. They're just regular girls. Yeah. And that that's what was different. We really had that girl next door appeal where it wasn't, they weren't swingers. They weren't porn stars. They weren't professional models. They were just regular girls. Well, also, like, if you're focusing on one person, um, as opposed to the early models was always like, hey, sign up and we'll give you all this porn. You'll get, like, a ton of it. You'll get this. You'll get that. Your mind's all over the place. But when you focus on one person, it lets, like, the fans really fixate on that one person, right? Be kind of come obsessed about them, want to learn more about them. Doesn't that make it maybe for certain fans more exciting? Like, they feel like they're connecting with somebody? Yeah, that's exactly the, the kind of fan mail we were getting at the time was, I'm so glad I found this site. You look like a person that I could actually talk to. Um, and it was a whole lot of just the personal interaction. We spent a lot of time interacting with our our audience, you know, letting the girls tell stories about their lives. And, and the content was, we, we totally let the girls control their own thing. Uh, whatever they wanted to do. We didn't force them to do hardcore if they didn't want to. And our two most popular girls uh, didn't do hardcore for years. I mean, there was such a pent-up demand with Jordan especially. When we got a hold of her honeymoon tape, that that sold a couple hundred thousand dollars of copies uh, in less than a week. So for anyone listening who doesn't really know what that is or whatever, can you? how would you describe that, the honeymoon tape? Back when, let's see, this is after Pamela Anderson's sex tape came out. And uh, who was the other one? Um, Paris Hilton. Paris Hilton, yeah. So Jordan came to me and she's like, hey, I got married and me and my husband filmed our honeymoon. 
do you think that there would be a market for it? Ah. I'm like, hell yeah, there would be. But she's like, but I don't want to look like a whore, and I don't want people to think that I sold it to you. So can you make it sound like it got stolen and you know released without my approval? So we staged the whole thing, and yeah. literally it gave everybody something to talk about, too, and it, it blew it up virally. So it was not just Jordan doing hardcore. It's somebody stole the the video of Jordan doing hardcore and you get to you get to look at it. So it had that forbidden thing going. Which is uh which is big, right? The taboo is always hot to a lot of people. So um well, I, it's I all can see fantasy. That, I mean the, course, the internet yeah. most of the girls have backstories and personalities and uh, entire storylines that aren't necessarily true. They are trying to give their audience a, a fantasy and not you know, the reality of daily life isn't that exciting. Yep. Uh, before we get into some additional questions about uh, the industry, actually adult related, I did want to ask you just for people to get a sense to uh, to to kind of know you and understand what you're about. Outside of adult, when you think of your skill set and things you think like, hey, I'm really good at this. This is something I do well. Uh, what, what comes to mind first? Like, what are the things you think, hey, you know what? I'm really good at this. Uh, well, I was a programmer for... 13 years before I was, before I got into adult and I was really good at it. I was doing, um, high, high end systems design. I was billing 220 some odd dollars an hour, um, and making money hand over fist. I ran my own consulting company. So I, I had a pretty good sense for, uh, technology and, and, uh, how to run a business and how to manage people and, all of that before I got into adult. I can't say that I was the, you know, the smartest guy in the room, but I think that my one of the early pieces of advice I got from uh, Frank Cadwell at CC Bill was listen to your audience, and I took that to heart. And every time someone sent me a, an email bitching about something, that was our number one priority. You know, fix whatever they're bitching about. Yeah. And after a while that adds up and you got you end up with a website that there's not much to bitch about um i i think that that's really where uh, we got our our start and the other thing i was raised not in a we were not rich and my parents had a very strong work ethic and they passed that to me and always about you know treat people fair do a good job be honest be ethical those kind of things I brought to the adult industry, and I found out that eh, a lot of people don't. And it That's made right, us, yeah. it made our company really stand out in the beginning. Was well, you're not going to shave me? No, I, I won't. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to cheat your models. You're not going to cheat your affiliates. No, why, why do we have to do that? Triple bang their uh, credit cards, yeah, your members, never, that sort of thing. We never, yeah. we never did anything. We didn't spam. We didn't do sell cross sells. We didn't do any of the aggressive stuff, you know, ignore cancel requests, anything like that. I always thought, let's just put out a good product and treat people well. And the word mm -hmm. will get out that, that, uh, this company's different. Do you feel like, uh, at the end of the day that like financially that taking that stance was rewarding for you guys? Or do you think like, Hey, I'm glad I did it, but we lost a lot of money by being too ethical. Well, we definitely succeeded. I can't say we didn't. Um, right. You know, the the company was on top of its game until uh, market forces kind of 
forced out all the all the little companies. Uh, we were kind of the the Pied Piper of small companies. I used to call myself the CC Bill poster boy. Yeah. And it was always about let's make everybody feel included, and let's not we're not going to throw a party just for the whales. We're going to throw dodgeball and let have 300 drunk people taking pictures and having fun. Because you never know that guy who's got nothing going on today might be the next big whale five years down the road. And he's going to remember who was nice to him and who wasn't. And for people that understand the terminology because of the day whale, you mean like large affiliates who might have sent a ton of traffic your way and helped, yeah, uh, helped drive I mean, sales. The, yeah. the, the, big, the big guys where when I started, there was a handful of them and I couldn't get their attention. They wouldn't pay. They wouldn't give me the time of day. Right. And I remembered that I had a couple Same. of them. Yep. <clears throat> I had a couple of them come up years later and say, wow, you know, if we would have known you were going to be this big, we would have been nicer to you. Like, yeah, you should have thought ahead. <laughs> they, there was a lot of them that way. When I got in in 97, I remember that treatment quite a bit when I was still just trying to get started. And, um, you know, I don't I don't think he's a bad guy per se, but I remember, I don't know why, for some reason, Paul Fishbein really sticks in my head because he owned AVN at the time and he was the head of AVN. And he was the kind of guy, if he didn't really know you and you weren't like, you know, a really uh, known person, um, he wouldn't not talk to you, but it was that whole like looking at his watch, needing to rush off. You'd get that whole treatment. You could tell he was not interested in talking to people he didn't um, know were already big entities. And so I get that. I've, I had that feeling with some people that to this day, I still remember, you know, even though it was like 1997, 98, I know when this was happening. Um, but I remember those people. And so I've always advised people, yeah, be careful who you're, you know, who you're, you're treating poorly in terms of like discounting them because that might not be the case in the future. I completely agree. Well, I, um, I just don't believe in treating anybody poorly. Uh, yeah. Even if the guy doesn't have anything going on right now and isn't going to have anything going on, he might run into somebody who he can introduce you to. You just never know. It's uh, building a network is a good thing. And that's where the trade shows, we used to do every single trade show. I did 100 yeah. of them in a row to the point of extreme burnout. I was so tired of doing it. Uh, but it was, we got to meet everybody in the industry and made a name for ourselves. It, it was a fun time. It was a, it was definitely a, a wild time and, um, and a time unlike uh, anything I think else that we'll experience in our life. It was a limited window for that, like the industry, the way it was then with the emerging internet technology. So it was, it was definitely a lot of fun. I mean, do you have any, do you have, when you look back on it, do you, I'm sure you don't regret being a part of it. Do you? No, not at all. Yeah. I, yeah. I had the time of my life. I, yeah. I miss the, a lot of the fun of it is gone now. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not the wild west anymore. Right. And it used to be that everybody was making so much money Hey, let's go somewhere exotic and blow, throw a party and blow money. And so we <laughs> were right. traveling all over the world together and yeah. basically just having fun. Nobody ever, there were shows where the joke was, if you do business here, you just don't get it. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, now you can't do that because they'd be like, well, why are we here? We can't write off, we can't write this expense off. Well, sometimes... Sometimes you get uh, revenue from the most unexpected places. I ended up getting a, a good job 20 years later from a guy who, he's like, I remember you. You're the dodgeball guy. <laughs> 
And I always felt like that was just throwing money out the window. That was strictly just to entertain everybody. But yeah. Uh, you never know how things will pay off in the end. That's funny. I don't know if you remember this, but I always used to think you you reminded me a little bit of the great Gatsby with your parties uh, because, like, you know, I think of Gatsby throwing these wild parties and um, some of the people that would show up would, like, leech off of all that. Like, they were perfectly fine to, like, leech off of all that stuff. But at the end of the day, are they, like, really, like, uh, are they really being friendly to you? No, they're, like, gone. Oh, hey, he said Gatsby's having problems. We're out the door, like, abandon this party. Did you feel like there was a lot of that? Or did you did you feel like most people who were attending your parties were, no, they appreciated it, and they were there for good reasons? Well, I've, I can say that I made some of the best friends of my life through the adult industry and through throwing those parties and going to conventions. But I also had a few experiences where, you know, one guy came up at a show where we were making a big presence. We probably spent upwards of 50000 or more at that show. And he's like, why do you do so much for this people? You know, I asked around and they all hate you. I'm like, wow, that's, that's kind of hard to hear. What a but, shitty thing to say, too. Well, yeah, I think that that was a fabric of his imagination more than anything. He was just trying to dig me dig into me um i don't i don't really think that was true at the time i think there was a um a uh how do i put this as something i've noticed in the industry over the years some people are really happy when you succeed and they're excited by that and they want to be a part of it or whatever then there's some people that when they see anybody else succeeding in a way that they wish they were succeeding it just makes them like jealous and angry and mad. And I think you got some of that. I used to think that's why I would think some of that would happen. There was other photographers or whatnot who saw Steve's over there throwing wild parties. He's got like, um, you know, his, his uh, websites are featuring beautiful girls and like, hey, he's having so much fun. I should be doing that. God damn it. And they just get mad. Like if you're like at a party and there's the attractive uh, girl who's hitting on you and you're, you've got some guy you don't know where they're mad because why isn't she hitting on me? Like I've seen that it, that kind of tendency happen in the industry before, and I definitely think there was a little of that going on with you. You get some people who would watch you with um, envious eyes. It's like I don't know if you're familiar with the whole evil eye symbol that people will sometimes use in cultures. To I think you got a little of that. I think you had some of the evil eye looking your way from time to time, and no, it was I, jealousy. I, I think I a lot of was a little jealousy. I saw it through others. The same thing. Like I when I started, I I completely idolized uh, Joey. Right. He was, yeah. he was the king. Yeah. And he, even though he was always cool with us, I never had a single issue with him. I was jealous. I, I remember thinking I'm never going to be that successful. And I, I don't even know, don't even know how to start. So I was, I was a little intimidated by him and we became friends over the years, but uh, same thing, you know, there was guys like, you know, I remember my first trade show, people, uh, Cyber Rodica gave away a Viper on the showroom floor. Right. And I walked in there thinking, I'm never going to be at this level. And it, you know, it turned out that dreams do come true because we did end up at that level. But in the beginning, it can be a little intimidating to see people who are so successful at something that you want to do yourself. Joey was uh, responsible for the my favorite industry party. Still, it was uh, Miami Internext, and he took you rented out a cruise ship and kind of brought us all out. And there was like um, yep, that, that you was know Playboy legend, TV was on there, HBO, HBO Real Sex, and um, it was like so. Yeah, that was that was fun. You know, the whole like, hey, we're going to uh, international waters, wink, wink. You know, <laughs> and so everybody was really excited. That was uh, 
That was fun. Okay, unrelated question, and then I want to move on to some other topics. Uh, I just had to ask you. This is probably the most important question I'm going to ask you. If one movie trilogy had to go, the Matrix trilogy or the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which one would you kick? Oh, I mean, what what the hell? (laughs) I I like them both. I'd say I'm more fond of Lord of the Rings. Okay, all right, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Lord of the Rings has my favorite scene in the in all of cinema, and uh, Matrix, I think, is the most brilliant trilogy of all times in terms of what it tells us about human beings and um, and our cycles and the and systems of control and all that stuff. I, I'm I'm a big fan, so that would be a really hard one for me uh, as I, to which I one I would. The have to kick. Matrix was a little preachy. A little preachy, yeah. yeah. Uh yeah, I loved it. But okay, all right. So you're Lord of the Rings. Lord and of the I, Rings I grew survives. Up reading the the. Lord of the Rings books, so I, it's more uh, more at home for me. Tolkien fan, okay, cool, cool. Um, so when you started shooting content and you did all that stuff for a period of time, and then there was a period where you weren't as active in adult circles before where you are now, which we're going to get into in a second. So how hard was that experience of having been involved in the adult industry at that level, throwing those wild parties, everything, and then trying to transition to a mainstream world for a period of time? Like, uh, that couldn't have been easy. What was, what oh, was yeah, that like? That was a real eye-opener, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought it wouldn't be that bad. But, after um, you know, I transitioned from mainstream to porn pretty easily. Right. I remember saying, I finally found my people. <laughs> but then going back from porn to mainstream, uh, it's a especially now, it's such a different world. Everybody is very politically correct. You're not really allowed to even socialize at work anymore. I, I have raunchy sense of humor, and I'm constantly cracking jokes. Yeah. And I got I got written up multiple times for being too friendly. Right. Like, what the hell? Being too friendly is not a bad thing. My boss said, why would you say something like that? And I said, because I consider you a friend, and that's what friends do? He's like, he, It was blew him away. He's like, oh, I never thought of it like that. I'm like, guy's never had a friend in his life. <laughs> yeah, it's getting uh, it's getting pretty. Um, what's the word? By the book out there, I would I would say. Um, and what about the work though? What about like just doing the work day to day? Was it like because um, it couldn't have been as exciting as what you guys were doing with the uh, um, with the light speed party years in Vegas? And oh, uh, definitely not. I mean, I was yeah. begging to do anything more fun. My last job, one of my responsibilities was monitoring. Uh, social media posts for people who are suicidal and yeah you want to talk about not fun (laughs) yeah uh every time anybody would post any fucked up thing on on so on a social media site it would go straight to my phone and i would have to review it and potentially you know deal with it yeah i mean important work right but but Uh, uh, hard to deal with ai to help with veteran you know help curb veteran suicide so it was very uh rewarding work but grim i mean just not fun yeah and ai is the main thing i want to talk to you about but um one last question before we transitioned over to talking about ai uh that early stage about that early stage of the adult internet um when you look back on it is there anything that you would do different that you think like oh man if i if I knew then what I know now, I would have done this thing differently. Is there anything like that? Um, I might have saved a little more money. I, yeah. I was definitely spending money like I thought it would never end. Right. And I 
you know, I wasn't as as watchful for potential threats to my company as I should have been. At the time, everybody thought the same thing, though, that the gravy train's just going to last forever. So, yeah, that's the only thing I would change. I, I had the time of my life. Otherwise, I'm glad I got to travel so much and meet so many people and have so much fun. It was great. So when you talk about th- the threats that you weren't maybe watching as much as you should have, is it, does that have anything to do with, like, the rise of the tube sites and that whole transition? Yeah, yeah of, the, of course. Yeah. I mean, that... Yeah. But what could you have done differently, though, I guess, like with respect to that? When you when you look at where we're at today, was there anything you could have done? Baseball bat to the knees, well-placed <laughs> grenade. <laughs> that might have done it. That might have done it. All right. Well, the, the, good, the good news is, is that you are now... Um, how do I put this? You were, I, I think you already established yourself as one of the uh, early leaders in the industry with respect to artificial intelligence and AI and adult and um, trying to apply that uh, to adult. Now, was it, you just mentioned AI a second ago with respect to mainstream work. Was that really what got you interested in AI to begin with, that mainstream work? Or what, how did, what was the process where you went, you know what, there's something here. I want to apply this to adult. Well, I've, because I've been a producer for so many years, I always envisioned that someday we would have <clears throat> virtual girls, you know, the video game style that the graphics would get better and better until we'll have a, a, a virtual model that we won't be able to, to tell. The AI thing, I, I got more into AI from data analytics. Um, I'm a, definitely a data nerd. I love stats and, and uh, math and all that s- stuff that everyone else hates. I went to a couple of different jobs where I had a chance to use early versions of what became ChatGPT, and it really turned me on and got me interested in learning more. So I was taking classes at night and studying you know, YouTube videos and taking, taking online classes to learn as much about AI as I could. And then there was an, an app called FaceApp. Uh, do you remember that one? It was, you could uh, change your hair, change your, you know, yeah. makeup. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Make yourself look younger, older. And I right. was just fascinated by that. I'm like, I have to figure out how this works. And so I dug into it and learned how that actually works. And that right at that time, um, just really last year, uh, Stable Diffusion came out with their 1.5 release. Wow, you can make realistic-looking models, realistic-looking people. Um, and the images, are they weren't perfect, but it was like, this is good enough to start now. As soon as I had the chance, I built uh, you know, a bunch of test images and started showing people what it could do. And, and I wasn't sure yet how we were going to make money off of it. But... <clears throat> Once I bought the deepfake.com website, it was sitting dormant doing nothing. And I just looked at that and said, that's, that's a gold mine. And that word gets, the site gets a lot of type in traffic and the word is highly recognizable for, you know, being related to AI. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a controversial word too. So your, your current project, uh, deepfake.com, right, is this uh, your current project. Um, so with respect to that, Explain to everyone how it works, because I think when people think of deep fake right off the bat, I think a lot of people are thinking, 
oh, you upload a picture of your former um, high school teacher and it turns her nude, or you're creating a photo and putting like, you know, Hillary Clinton's face on somebody else having sex. That's not what your site does. So can you explain like what is how what is the appeal? Why are people signing up for it? And what is it? What does it do? Well, deep fakes in general are synonymous with synthetic people. It's a person who doesn't exist. And I, I recognize the potential controversy with deepfake. Uh, so we, even though we did start with doing face swaps and, and fun stuff like that, it became very quickly apparent that, that uh, AI can do some, some bad, bad things. It can make naked celebrities. It could make, you know, your college professor naked. It can do all sorts of things. And so we, we put down a bunch of rules and said, no, we're not going to do that at all. I, I want to use the deepfake technology for good, which, just like any technology, can be used for good or bad. Um, I think that with deepfakes, there's a lot of things that we can do that would, uh, for example, um, a lot of models end up having expensive surgeries as they get older to maintain their looks. With deepfake technology, they wouldn't necessarily have to do that. They could, they could use the technology, continue to model, and the pictures, just like an advanced version of Photoshop, it would put them, you know, make them look the way they want to look. Uh, same thing with privacy. There's a lot of models who end up, you know, years later have a family and move on with their lives and suddenly realize, hey, those pictures are all still out there. I think it's possible now we could, with new models even, we'll change your appearance just enough to make you unrecognizable. And you're never going to have that that uh, aha moment with your parents and with your grandparents and with your children someday. I think that there's, uh, there's also things we can do technology-wise, like um, it's to me it's a turnoff when I watch a movie and the girl is moaning in Spanish or, or uh, you know, with a thick Eastern European accent. With deepfake technology, you can take her, her voice and, and make her sound however you want her to sound. Just like the old Kung Fu movies, now we can not just overdub them in English, but make the lips move correctly. So it oh, all wow. works. Yeah. I mean, that's, there's some real positive uses for AI. Yeah. Same thing we have... Uh, we have newscasters. A lot of people want to do like this podcast. Um, I, you know, I, I like to talk to people. I like to to present information, but I don't necessarily want to be on camera. Right. But if you're not on camera, you're, you know, what do you put on YouTube? So for YouTube, there's a lot of people making virtual avatars of either themselves or something that they think represents their their brand, and it's doing the talking for them. There's, there's, I don't know if you've seen this, but there's a company that does, it's not um, AI in this way, but they do a um, cartoon avatar effectively. So like a, a fake animated girl, but she can actually cam on Chatterbait. So they're doing the controls as a real person. I think it's motion capture and other things or whatever. So there's a real person, but the fans are watching a cartoon move and talk and things of that nature. Do you see something along those lines being possible with camming where a person could on a video in a live video format 
down the line will be able to change their appearance so they can cam a little bit, but like you said, maybe alter themselves just enough to where they're they're protected. Yeah, I, I, I actually can do it right now. Oh, wow, right now with a live feed? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, there's uh, Metaphysics has a version that can do that. There's other companies, um, and especially if you're just on cam. It's not like uh, the, I went to a trade show where the guy was showing us a speaker and he, he recorded them live and then not five minutes later put up the same speech with uh, an alien giving the same speech from the right, same man. spot. And the light, it, it looked like completely real. And he did it all on his phone. But it wasn't like, I've seen those speakers, like uh, those filters rather for speakers like on Zoom. Remember there was uh, one where some attorney like or somebody showed up as a cat and he didn't realize that he oh, was yeah, like talking yeah. and it was like, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> is that the, what you're talking about? Or are you talking about something more sophisticated well, than that? The, the, it's, the, there's a thing called the uncanny Valley. And okay. basically what that's about is a computer can generate any kind of character. If you want to be a robot or an alien or a cat, people can look at that and go, yep, that's, that's about what they, I would expect it to look like. Right. The trick is, creating a human face that doesn't give you the creeps. Right. Because uh, people are very hardwired to look for signs of sickness. Right. And if somebody's moving in a weird way or their skin tone is not quite right or something about their eyes looks wrong, it, it just triggers a sense that I need to get away from this person because I don't want to get sick. Right. So that's where uh, the Holy Grail is making a face that doesn't creep people out, and it's coming. That was the problem with the early animated. I remember like uh, that Tom Hanks Christmas Polar Express or something like that. Mm-hmm. It was a, car- a Christmas movie, and the eyes were like you know just creepy. They were like soulless sort of. So they had pretty good um, computer generated uh, animation, but they couldn't get the eyes right. Right, and yeah, that was the I thing mean, they were uh, working with. Star Wars had a few stand-in characters, and and, uh, the technology is getting so much better now. In the early days, it definitely wasn't wasn't quite right. People can pick it up right away. So as soon as that problem is solved, I think we're maybe a couple of years out from having a perfect cam girl who you can interact with, who's not real. You you won't know you're not talking to a real person. Wow. That's, there's some big changes uh, coming to the industry here soon. Um, and I was I was wondering, because the fans obviously know if they're on Deepfake and they're generating images on your site or they're um, anywhere that's like as, as forthcoming as yours is about, hey, this is what this is about – um, they're not talk. They're not creating content that's a real person. That they're not seeing like a real person uh, nude or whatever they're creating. That's not what's happening, and they know it. But do you think that hampers or does it even improve? Maybe like the fantasy on their side with what they're getting. And um, what do you think the fans who are signing up for accounts on your site? What do you think they like about AI generated content the most? Uh, well, there's very much like um, you know written erotica. You're, you're filling in the blanks with your mind. Right. And with with stills, at least, and, and um, computer-generated images, is I, I can make a, a, a woman who's everything I, you know, my dream girl. Literally, this is the girl that I've looked for my whole life. Right. And I don't, I can, I can dress her up. I can put her anywhere. I can, I can uh, pose her out however I want. 
and there's no fear of rejection. And that's what I've noticed my my uh, users. They're like, they know it's not a real girl, but that's actually a positive for them because they feel guilty. They would feel guilty if it was a real girl. Like, I don't want to feel like I'm creeping on some poor girl who's forced to do this. I know she's not into me. This is, hey, this is a cartoon, and I'm being an artist. And yeah. so it takes that guilt level and the fear of rejection completely away. You know, it's funny. I asked uh, an AI program the other day about what it thought, like, why do people like um, anime or hentai or stuff and get into some of the characters on that? You know, what's the attraction there? And it list, it actually very smartly listed out a number of things. I was actually impressed with its response. But um, one of the items on the list was that hente like part of the attraction was specifically that it was not real that it was fantasy right um so that that you're not getting something that's real just total fantasy and do you think there's that's is there a similarity there like why people might like hente content versus yeah, this, um, ai I mean, content this is basically advanced hente yeah it's it's very much the same um and i i get so on deep fake you can create a girl. This is the first site that has um, collaborative creation. In other words, I can create a, a, a model of a girl and every user can then pick that model up and clone her and uh, make her hair longer, change her hair color, make her a little heavier or give her bigger boobs or, or whatever they want. And so I can actually watch. I'll put up a model on a Monday and by Friday there's a few hundred pictures of her in all sorts of different settings. And some of these guys are very talented artists and they spend hours fine tuning their art. So it, it gets, uh, we're, we're having something like 5,000 to 10,000 new images added to the website every day. I've never had a site that updates like that. I mean, there's, wow. you, you couldn't see it all. I, I'm on it all day long and I can't get through it all. There's something for everybody. There's, and I found it it's interesting that people don't necessarily when they when they can create whatever they want, it's sometimes not what you expect at all. Uh, a lot of times it's fully clothed or it's pale or it's heavy or it's older or you know whatever it's it's not always the supermodel that I, you would expect people are trying to create. It actually doesn't surprise me um, for a number of reasons, um, but I think what we learned from the creator community was that like there was a time when all the content that was being created was kind of gate. There were gatekeepers at the top um, deciding, you know, what kind of content they wanted to create, and it was hard for anybody outside of any of these gatekeepers to create content that was seen. Um, and once the platforms like OnlyFans came along, we found that it's like, okay, there's people that would have had a hard time getting past the gatekeepers before, but now have a pretty strong following, right? And by that, I mean, maybe their looks aren't like what was traditionally pushed as attractive in the 80s or the 90s. Um, and that now you're finding, no, actually, there's a lot of, lot of people who are into this. So that doesn't surprise me too much. And, uh, of course, the clothing is just, um, it adds a lot of interesting dimension, right, to the picture that you're creating versus somebody who's just completely naked. So, um, well, the you... other thing is the AI is a co-creator because yeah. you can give it very minimal instructions. You know, I want a beautiful blonde on the beach wearing a bikini, and it'll add elements like there's a sunset and there's waves 
and there's right. people walking in the background. And it, it, I didn't ask for any of that stuff. The AI added that for me. And sometimes it adds, it makes images that are just amazing. Like I, I like to do waterfalls and, and uh, I call it lightning on the beach because it makes for some very dramatic looking photos. Right. And it's something that as a photographer, I would have never been able to do. Same thing with like wedding dresses is a good mm -hmm. example. They're so expensive that not a lot of photographers ever use them as props because you use it once and oh, I've used it. I can't use it again. But with AI, I can make spacesuits and wedding dresses and expensive costumes. I can do period pieces. I can do pretty much anything you want. You can make girls look like they're in the 1800s or in the, you know, 200 years in the future. You know, it's interesting. While you were saying that, I was just thinking kind of a little brainstorming uh, moment that like that technology would actually be really useful to creators or photographers who want to create a scene like on their computer to get what they want to shoot. And even if they're going to then go shoot it with a real person, create the scene first, um, you know, with AI and then go try to replicate the pose and the maybe some of the props or some of the uh, creative ideas for that scene. Do you see a, an opportunity for people to use AI for that purpose? Just to, just as part of like storyboarding for if yeah. you're creating a movie, well, you start by it's storyboarding. Actually, it's actually, um, I have a few users right now who are, are writers and they're, right. they're writing erotic stories and then they're using the AI to illustrate. And also to inspire them, like they'll tell the AI, what would what would a character like this look like? And then when right. they see it, they're like, oh, yeah. And they, they can describe and be much more detailed in their written descriptions. That's one of the things that we're working on is a site where you can you know, have a, a sexy chat with it. And when you want to, you can hit a illustrate this button and it will use the AI to show you what the scene looks like up to this point. That's that that makes a ton of sense, actually. I'm, I'm, I'm actually excited by the thought of that because writers um, in Hollywood or just mainstream, too, they're, right, they're not always like artists, right? They can't always storyboard. They don't have a lot of money to, um, to necessarily hire storyboards. It costs a lot. Uh, so when they're pitching something, though, having some visuals to go along with it is important. If you could use AI to generate some imagery to go along with the scenes you're trying to write as well, it would also help writers with pitching things and helping people to um, to visualize and understand uh, what they're trying to, you know, how it might look, how their story might look and why it's a good idea without having to, you know, to spend the cost on on trying to storyboard it themselves. So that's that sounds like that would be an interesting use. No? Well, and there's. You know, so many webmasters that are always looking for content. And it's it's one thing to, you're building a, a blog and you want to, you don't need a whole set. You need a couple of good looking pictures, but you need very specific, like it's got to be this type of body or it's got to be this kind of setting. And hunting down a photographer willing to, to make a one-off is super expensive. Right. Um, I just put the uh, made a deal with Payout Magazine. We're going to start providing covers for all of their special issues. Um, if they don't put a real model on the cover, it's going to be an AI girl. And we can do we can do Christmas, we can do Halloween, we can you know, do any kind of uh, Valentine's Day kind of stuff. Just very themed out. 
So in the process you've gone through so far to get where you're at, um, what have you learned about AI um, that maybe you didn't know at the beginning of this that surprised you the most? One of the things that has surprised me the most is that more control wasn't built into it. You see, on, like on ChatGPT, if you try to have a sexy chat with it, it'll shut you down immediately. Right. And they've built that in on top of what they started with because they had to. Because it doesn't know right from wrong. And if you ask it, how do you rob a bank? How do you hmm. build a bomb? How do you make meth? It'll tell you. Yeah. So they had to say, no, you can't ask those questions. We're not going to be party to that. Right. And then the the image generation stuff is very much the same way. I want to make, you know, simulated child porn. And it doesn't care. It's like, okay, here it is. I want to make a snuff film. I want to make gore or obscenity, scat videos, whatever. It, it can do all of that stuff. And it shouldn't. Somebody should have been thinking ahead of time, like, maybe we need to put the brakes on some of this. Like, let's not let it have complete free reign. And um, because it, there are people who have already cracked ChatGPT, there's versions of it that are completely uncensored. And it will tell you, it'll not only tell you how to rob a bank, it'll write the code for you to hack into a bank. Is ChatGPT open source? No. But no, there's okay. the the technology is, I mean the the genie's out of the bottle. The the how to build a large language model is the same process, and all you have to do is feed it different data. So ChatGPT used things like Wikipedia and Google and stuff like that. Um, there's there's one out there that used uh, conversations on 4chan which you can imagine how different that is than ChatGPT. Right. Um, there's also, it's very racist. It's very misogynistic. It's very non-politically correct. Um, it lies. It, it does all the horrible things that you would hope that an AI wouldn't do. So you're a racist or misogynistic AI. That means that I guess the people in charge of it were very specifically training it to be that way, were they no, not? No, that no. means the people who trained it used data that had that those was elements in it. Yeah, which is obviously there's a lot of that out there. So, Well, if you look at the 4chan conversations, there's all sorts of hate speech and stuff that's not appropriate or wouldn't fit on Facebook or Twitter. Yeah, and, and, and that actually rolls into my next question quite um, nicely. So if you're, you sounds like you're saying one of the things that surprised you the most was the lack of, a lack of controls, uh, for some of the worst type of things. So are you concerned though, that obviously when you have a reality like that, that's going to lead to a lot of legislation in the future. AI is going to be a hotly contested legal area, um, for a long time to come because in just so many, it's going to affect almost every industry. And there's going to be a lot of questions that, that laws have never really thought to address before. There won't be a lot of precedence in some of these cases, right? So are you concerned for how the, how future legislation might impact AI in the adult space specifically? Or do you think, um, think it's probably not going to be a, a big deal? Well, I, I think it, it all comes down to common sense. Very much just like when computers were new. When the internet was new, when digital cameras were new, it created all sorts of new problems. But we worked through them. Right. What's acceptable? What's not acceptable? What are the punishments? What are the rewards? And 
the industry in general is very good at adapting. I'm I'm all for tell me what the the law is and I will do my best to follow it. I don't right. I think that right. there's so much money to be made by staying on 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 the light side even just making simple nude photos. There's a massive market for it. It doesn't have to be anything extreme. But there are uh, just like in porn there's going to be someone who oh but it's got to be a stepmom. Oh and it's got to be incestuous and it's got to be you know it's got to look like rape and it's got to be humiliating. Like no it doesn't. We we can do those things but maybe we shouldn't. It's well your whole um your whole career kind of proves the um viability of non uh, the content that's not that way. I mean, I not to jump back to the Lightspeed Day stuff, but you were primarily a softcore producer, right? Most of what you produced was was nudity. You had some hardcore stuff, but it was probably mild on, you know, in the in the in the grand scheme of things of hardcore, but most of your income came from just naked pictures of of attractive people, right? Yeah, yeah, and same with Playboy, you know. Yeah. Uh, Playboy is an empire built on beautiful women. They they didn't it wasn't about humiliating them. It wasn't about how dirty they can be or anything like that. It was just here's the elite women in the world that you would never get to see otherwise in my magazine. Right. So I I think that that's always been kind of where I'm where I wanted to stay. I, I need I have to be able to look myself in the mirror and sleep at night. I don't want to put anyone in a position where they're doing something that they'll regret. And with AI, you know, there's there will never be an AI model that says it was forced to do anything. Right, right. Well, I mean, I guess technically it could say that, right? Isn't it possible? We're all concerned the robots are going to become a sentient and uh, and start taking over maybe that's the point where you made me do this you you made me write your college essays you know and maybe that's why they launched the nuclear bomb at us the ethics of robotics (laughs) especially of humanoid robotics yeah is it okay to beat your robot or or talk shit to it or you know rub shit in its face right like it's not a person so what difference does it make but if it looks and acts and pretends to be a person that's that's some weird weird uh, content to to deal with. I mean, we're lawyers are going to have a field day with with AI and robotics. It's it's coming. There, it's funny you say that. It reminds me of this guy who would always like tell me he hated the scene in Star Wars. Um, I think it was Phantom Menace when uh, R two does something to save the ship, and uh, the the princess says something like, "Oh." R2 needs to be commended, right? And there's this whole thing about commending the robot and stuff. And the guy was, this guy, this guy was always like, I don't get it. It's the toaster. Why are you commending the toaster? Right? Like, it's just... <laughs> well, it... But Luke was always kind to the robots and all the good guys were usually pretty kind to him. You know, I catch myself <laughs> thanking chat GPT for helping. Right. No, I, you know how many times I've started with the word please, or can you please, or something yeah, like that? Yeah. It's like, you know, it's, it's just, just... Uh, um, just in case it becomes sentient and wants to kill everybody, it'll be like, yeah, but Connor was nice to me. <laughs> he said, please, we'll, we'll let him, we'll let him survive. I hope so. I hope so. So when you're talking to people around the industry about AI in general now, and obviously everybody's waking up to it now, but you've been talking about it a little while now, um, what kind of reactions are you getting from people? Are they generally excited? Are they terrified? Like what's, what's the general range there, of responses you're seeing? confusion and apprehension yeah. right now. 
most people, the knee-jerk reaction is, oh, this is going to take money from us. It's going to put us out of work. It's going to take our job. Right. Um, the the writer's strike in Hollywood, the actor's strike was very much about, hey, if you're using my image or my 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 brain to train your AI, I should get some compensation for it. Right. And I totally agree. I think with with models especially, um, if if somebody's going to make a, a an AI avatar of a real model. She needs to be compensated very much the same way that um, like a, a TV show that goes into syndication and reruns. Like that's going to be out there forever. And it's still you. I, I've said all along that I think people should have the rights to their name, their face and their voice. And if anybody tries to take it from you, that's that should be illegal. And AI does have the ability to do that, but responsible people will step up and say, no, that's that's not okay. Hollywood, however, I think you're right. I think they were um, part of the contention for the actors, at least, was this idea that they can get digitized, essentially, and then use like the, the studio that owns their likeness, and they're not getting compensated. So that was one of the issues that was coming up. The writers, I remember, were concerned that AI would write stories, and then they would have to sit there and clean up the AI stories, right? And, they, and they're, as opposed to telling their own. So I know there was concern about that. It's it's really not like that. The, the AI doesn't have the creative spark. It It's good at at taking an idea and developing it. It's very much a tool and not, it's not really a mind. It's a right. tool. It's, it's, to me, it's the same as, you know, when we were in school and pocket calculators became available and the teachers were like, well, you're not always going to have a pocket calculator in your, you know, available. Well, yeah, it turns out not only I do, but I can, I don't even have to type. I can ask it in English to do a math problem for me. Right. So, is the skill of long division still that relevant? If I can have my phone, I, I don't need to know how to do long division and I'll get by just fine. With AI, I I don't necessarily know how to write a manuscript, but I have ideas for a TV show. Right. And if I ask it, help me format this. Now it's really just an advanced form of word. You know, right. help me format this so that uh, uh, it, it has scenes and it has, you know, cuts, just like a, a a movie would have. I don't know how to do that when I'm when I'm just typing. But if if the AI can help me format stuff, or you know, even simple stuff like help me flesh out a character. Here's a little bit of backstory, but I want more. It's it it's a co-creator. It's it's not going to create everything for us. It's never going to create the next Superman or you know Game of Thrones. That those ideas are still going to be from a human, and it may get fleshed out with an AI, the help of an AI. So so in that thought process of AI being a tool that human beings can use to help what they're doing. How do you see AI helping um, some of the creators who are out there, maybe who are producing their own content right now? How can they leverage AI that helps them, um, you know, get more done basically with the amount of time that they got? Well, I, I use AI for a lot of stuff. Um, we are, you know, I have a content library with over a million images in it. 
and I've always wished to have a comprehensive search engine that's based, you know, where I can pull up one photo and say, show me more like this. Mm -hmm. And uh, without manually tagging them all, how do you do that? AI can do that. There's AIs that can look at a picture and it may not know who it is, but it knows that it's a person and it knows that they're wearing, you know, a red baseball shirt and it knows that they're at a baseball stadium and they're holding a baseball bat. So all of those become text that can then be used as a search. Can it can it make the Dodgers offense not go dead once the playoffs start? Is that possible? Dodgers are screwed. They're never going to make it. <laughs> So uh, I was thinking, though, like with AI, with creators, I was thinking more like, um, would it be possible for creators to like train AI on their own looks and then use it in a way to generate? So, look, I'm busy. I don't have time to dress up and do scenes and shoot a lot of content, but I need to keep my my fans engaged and have AI spit out a bunch of content they can use to like maybe, you know, keep them on the hook and engaged. I, between... I can't believe that every creator is not doing this already. Yeah. Um, yes, it's totally possible to do all of those things. Uh, it takes about 150 images to create a digital avatar. And then your fans can completely direct a photo set with your avatar. And yeah, um, you want to take a day off? Okay, they've got something to do instead of, she's not here, that bitch, I'm canceling. I'm right. never coming back. Right, but what if the creator wanted to to use the AI to create their own images, not let the fans do it, but they well, want to create their own images, they, but they then can, use those to to and provide some updates. The same thing. Yeah. If you control your own avatar, you, you don't necessarily have to give it to your fans. Right, but you can use it. Hey, put me in Paris. Put me put me on a cruise ship. Put me right. on the moon. Right. There's all kinds of creative stuff that you can do that you'd never be able to do otherwise. Put put me on a, a tropical beach with a sunset in the background. You know, that and it looks like you're there. Nobody would know that it's not you and nobody would know that you're not really there. It's very much an advanced version of Photoshop. It's um, it adds all sorts of levels of creativity. The other thing is a lot of models, well if I could have when it's always just me, I don't know anybody. I don't live around anybody. I don't have friends that do this. I don't want to travel to a trade show and do content in a hotel room. Well, you can do content and add a digital person next to you. And, you know, here's you and your your girlfriends. Or here's you and your, your friends playing vol- nude volleyball on the beach. Right? That's something that yeah. you couldn't have done any other way. Right. So when you're thinking about this with AI and where it's going, I like to like look ahead and with with uh, technology on on this show. So like let's say in the short term, the very quick term, the next one to two years, what do you think is going to surface that isn't available or isn't quite right now, but that'll probably be very impactful in a couple of years? Well, video is is yeah. where it's all heading, and yeah. interactivity, where just like. A guy who goes on to a cam show, he 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 talk he looks around till he finds a girl that he connects with, and then he starts chatting her up, and and eventually willing to pay a little extra to have a private show. But it'll be such a different experience for him because it won't just be okay, touch your boobs. It's going to be okay, put on a spacesuit and go to the moon, <laughs> or put on a bikini and go to the beach, yeah, or get ten of your girlfriends and put them on your bed 
there's just so much more that we'll be able to do. You know, get a get a wedding dress, get a get get a fifty thousand dollar ball gown with with million dollars worth of diamonds. There's probably not a lot of cam girls that can do that right now. That's interesting. Yeah, and and I I think about the internet as a technology, like you know, as somebody who grew up with no internet back in the um, you know seventies eighties, and then. Uh, all of a sudden the internet comes around and this technology took a long time to create some of the changes that it's still creating today. So I think of like, for example, right now, Hollywood is struggling with Netflix and what that means with what's going on at movies and movie theaters, right? And uh, and people wanting to watch movies at home. It took a while for the internet to get to the point where all the technologies were built and streaming was good. And the first streaming I saw was horrible, right? And now oh, it's yeah. there. And Netflix was there, so they had to respond to them and et cetera. It took a while. But that technology eventually, like a slow-moving iceberg, just laid waste to like a lot of former business models. AI, I think, is going to move quicker than that in terms of making impactful changes on the world. So looking a little further out, though, I'd say like within 10 years, um, do you see anything like kind of out there that's like that they're working towards that you're like, I bet they have this going in 10 years? Well, there's AI already that can record your dreams and record your thoughts. Oh, wow. And it's a matter of time before you'll be able to plug into a computer port and print out or create the scene of your dreams. Like, I have very vivid memories of some of the best sexual experiences of my life. Yeah, I don't have right. any pictures of it. <laughs> oh, wow. You and think it can able, do that, huh? You'll be able to do that. Isn't that dangerous? Couldn't, like, law enforcement use that to force shit out of people's heads? Yeah. Or yeah. Once again, there's it's a double-edged sword. There's, oh, there's advantages and disadvantages. I think that privacy is going to be a th- uh, it's pretty much already, but it's definitely going to be a thing of the past. Yeah, I mean, already, like you said, there's a camera everywhere. So um was talking with somebody the other day, and they were joking about, oh, we should do this or whatever. And I was like, yeah, not in a day. Like, if this was like, yeah, 93 maybe, but there's a camera at every corner these days. Uh, don't fuck around. Um, so that's really interesting, but that is very scary um, when what, I think about it, to be honest. interesting, though, is there's a camera on every corner, but people don't feel safer. Right, right. They what don't. What does that say? I, that's a good point. I mean, I feel like there's a maybe a better chance they're going to catch the person that did the thing, but maybe not a better chance to avoid it in the first yeah, place, yeah. right? Right. Very interesting. All right, man. Hey, this has been a great conversation. Really fascinating. Um, it's funny. I will admit that when you first started talking about AI, I wasn't there yet. You know, a little bit like I, I've compared it to smartphones. When people were first coming to me, a lot of people from Europe, like, oh, cell phones are going to be big for porn. I couldn't see it because at the time, it's little flip phones with the bad screens. And Mike, who wants to, like, jerk off with a horrible picture on a small screen? And the iPhone came out, and all of a sudden, it was like, oh, I, I get it. I see how this is going to be uh, a game changer. And AI, I'm, I'm at that point now where I'm seeing, you know, okay, yeah, this is this is for real. This isn't just some fad like we talked about VR porn all the time and some people are making money off of it. Uh, but a whole lot of that promise just hasn't come out yet about it being this huge game changer. This isn't one of those cases. This is something that's good. That's absolutely going to be a game changer. And, and I think now people are really waking up to it. So kudos to you for seeing this like right off the bat, even when uh, some of us who think ourselves to be relatively uh, wise people weren't seeing it um, uh, back at the time you were. Yeah, I, I'm happy to be one of the early adopters. I, I'm seeing other people in the industry looking at it. Um, right now, the, the lawyers are are definitely circling like vultures. 
<laughs> there's a there's a lot of confusion about you know what what should we do what can we do you know um, I I get that I think that there does need to be some some self policing in the industry if we see someone using AI for really unethical purposes we need to stand up as an industry and say no instead of turning, you know, the blind eye and letting things get out of control until the government or someone else steps in and forces a whole bunch of rules on us. I think it's already, we've seen, um, you know, celebrity AI, you know, there's a million pictures of Margot Robbie with a dick in her mouth. And yeah, that's, uh, that's getting cracked down on already. There's some big AI companies that have been sued and lost. And you're going to see anybody that has celebrities, you know, talk to, talk to Beyonce, yeah, that, that'll be gone. Right. It'll, it'll clean itself up pretty quickly. And we'll, we'll, we'll learn and adapt. I think that people who are worried that they're going to be replaced by AI probably will. Yeah. Um, if they learn how it works and how to use it to their advantage, then it's going to be a huge advantage for them. Um, fear is the big problem right now is just people are really very apprehensive about what's going to happen and and how it's all going to work. But I think that there's a ton of opportunity. This is no different than when the internet was new. Uh, I, I famously told a jewelry company that there was no reason for them to have a website because, you know, do you have a lot of nerds buying wedding, you know, wedding rings? And boy, was I wrong on that one. So people who say that AI is going to be nothing but evil, yeah, probably not. Yeah. All right, man. Hey, thank you so much for uh, for coming on and talking with us. I hope that in about a year's time we can maybe do this again or something and just take a look at this, you know, maybe some of the things we were talking about here and how it, how it you know, shook out and like where, how things are going with deepfake. Is there anything else you'd like to say that I haven't covered before we, uh, you know, we wrap I, it up? I, I had my, an eye on uh, my stats while we've been talking and, Interestingly, yeah. Deepfake just had its one millionth creation. Wow. And it started not five months ago. How many accounts are making that many? Uh, you don't have to say if you don't so, want to say I that. mean, there's there's uh, about a half a million accounts online now. Wow. It, there's That's a amazing. ton of public interest in this. It's uh, A lot of people just log in and set up an account because they they're curious. They want to see how it yeah. works. And then as soon as they see what it can do... You can see the addiction set in. Right. So we've got guys who who spend hours. I, I saw one the other day who was online for over 10 hours. Wow. Yeah, making image after image after image all day long. Well, I mean, people do that with video games, right? Stay online yeah. all, all day mean, long playing video games. The so. whole idea of building a successful website is to make something that people want to use and use often. Yeah, and that's also a lot of traffic, is it not, that you find yourself sitting on right now? Or like, should people be getting in contact with you about that? Uh, you know, I do sell traffic. And if anybody that's got an AI tool, I want to partner up because buying traffic is expensive. And if we've we've got it to trade and to sell... So um, I'd like to, anybody that's got an AI product, I think the market is just so big. It's a lot like the solo girl thing in the beginning. 
If yeah. they don't like what I'm offering, they might like what you're offering. So there's plenty of opportunity to work together. Good stuff. All right, man. Thank you so much, Steve. I appreciate it. And always good to talk to you. Thanks, Connor.